It's the Cinema Smorgasbord Holiday Special, also a stealth episode of Cinema Fantastica, where we'll be discussing two holiday-themed films that played at the 2021 Weinoxt Film Festival, the Christmas Film Festival in Berlin, Germany. On this episode, uh, we'll be looking at Jim Cummings' 2020 horror comedy, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, and Satoshi Kon's beloved 2003 animated classic, Tokyo Godfathers. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight with. Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight Welcome to the Cinema Smorgasbord Holiday Special. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is Sveti Nikola, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Feliz Navidad, Doug. Liam, it's the most wonderful time of the year, as they say. Sure, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Liam, is there a crisis in the United States right now where people are unable to say Merry Christmas because it's seen as too, watch my fingers, politically correct? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh man, those... <laughs> We're getting into the tough topics here. The PC <laughs> police. No, I, you know, it's so funny because everything is so Christmas focused that the very idea that like you should, that, that there's some sort of hostility towards Christmas is so psychotic to me. I know, you know I know. I don't, I've never understood at, that at all. And especially because people remember Christmas, right? Then they probably mention ha- Hanukkah, right? That's a more obvious one. Sure. And then after that, everyone's kind of like, I think there might be other things sometimes, or maybe not. If I don't they know. say Kwanzaa, they're saying it as like a joke. It's like, and Kwanzaa, right? I mean, they're, 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 people don't even take anything after those two seriously generally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I should say, I, when I say people, I should I should mention, I mean, white people that are in right. our general yes. circle. <laughs> 100%. And it's, I, to be fair, there's some skepticism among uh, black folks around Kwanzaa too. It's sure, not like everyone's absolutely. on board with Kwanzaa, but the point is, it exists. Some people do celebrate it. How does it cost you anything to acknowledge it exists? No, it's there's no cost to you to admit other holidays happen. And we were talking about this actually. Of all the places, this actually makes me sound much cooler than I am in real life. We were talking about this at the barber shop yesterday. Duh. What? <laughs> One of the one of the barbers was asserting an opinion that's very popular to assert now, which is that any movie that is not directly about the holiday Christmas is not a Christmas movie. And I get that. There's a lot of pushback on the question around Die Hard. Was it Ice Cube? Whatever. No, it's just someone in the in the barbershop. Uh, oh, I get it because barbershop is the, the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Good. Sorry. Again, I I grew up in Newfoundland. I don't have any context. For I get it. Barbershops. I get it. Well, and this is this is very much. Uh, I think. Uh, my friend Mike's barbershop. It is very much a cool, quote unquote, barbershop, which is fine. Uh, but because it was cool and there were no kids getting their haircut, I felt free to unload on this whole issue, which is like, oh my goodness, which is like, a, who cares? I mean, the first thing to say is it doesn't matter. The fact that anyone is arguing about what is or is not a Christmas movie is stupid. Know, right? But, but. Even in the sense of saying that something is or is not Christmas, Christmas is whatever you make it. Because Christmas, if we're going to say that it is a holiday connected to Christianity, then it is a fake holiday. Because for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, many Christians didn't celebrate this holiday or know what the fuck it is. And not only that, the Christians who existed in places where it was celebrated weren't sure that they liked it because it was so debaucherous and so over the top. And it was a time for the for the public to maybe put 
the powerful and rich on trial a little bit or demand something from them. Mm -hmm. There were so many traditions around this time that there were many churches, especially in England, but other places as well, that attempted to outlaw this holiday because they didn't like it. They were uncomfortable with it. And all of this shit that's like, put Christ back in Christmas. It's like, get the fuck out of here. It's a it's a complicated tradition. We're not even sure all the times exactly where it came from. It's kind of clouded in mystery. And it's not even really that important to like the church calendar in a way, not the way that we celebrate it. And so like the the idea of any fight over this holiday is just fucking out of control. Like let it go. It's fine. I love it. I love this. It when it comes to the actual celebration of it, Doug, like I like presents, you know? <laughs> I like pretending the winter doesn't suck. That's cool. <laughs> Family uh, gatherings and stuff like that. I mean, look, it's, it's mixed, a, it's mixed a, bag, but it can be good. <laughs> but the, even the fact that you, a lot of people, and unfortunately not everyone, get just get a time off from work where they can do whatever right. they fucking want right. to do. That is a good enough it, thing to celebrate. If more right people now. got off, it would be even better, right? Like yes, I think exactly. that that's, yeah. But the idea that there's any sort of inherent value to argue over, it, if that was the case, then churches should have pushed back at the commercialization of this holiday back in the 20s you know what i mean like back in 1920 1913 whatever whenever coca-cola invented the <laughs> fat white santa claus should have been the part where the church was like wait no this day is too holy to make it into commodity but that's not what we did we let this thing get even more ingrained to our culture and then we're mad that it's like treated as not the most important thing in the world. Well, it's not. It's just fucking not. So just enjoy <laughs> yourself, guys. Just have fun. You know, like that's and 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 honestly, part of me appreciates a little bit the sort of inherent melancholy of of this thing, you know, mm -hmm. in the sense of like it is winter and whenever you're thinking about family, it's a mixed bag, right? Like there are as many disappointments as there are joys. Sure, you know? absolutely. Um, but like I, I just think this this uh, and and it's not just the usual, which I think, despite uh, my connections to it, I think we both aren't big fans of uh, any sort of like hostile religious bullshit. But this is even more than, or maybe less than that, in the sense of like, um, just just why make this a fight in the first place? Because literally, no one gives a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we're about to talk about a Christmas movie set in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of Jesus lovers in Tokyo, Doug. Right? Like, part of my question to you is going to be: Is Tokyo this Christmassy at Christmas? And if so, why? You know? But I think it's, I think it's because Christmas has just become a fun fucking thing. It's a thing that lots of people have. Just let them have it. Why do we have to make it a fight at all? It's all tied into to capitalism as well, which is a right. big part of, of uh, both. And if, and if people want to be hands off of this holiday because of capitalism, then I get that. That's an ethos. Sure. But mm -hmm. everything else just makes me annoyed. I just like the idea that anyone could say there's a war on Christmas. And all you need to do at this time of the year in either – I'm sure where you live and certainly where I live. Just walk down the street and just count everything related to Christmas that you see. It surrounds you at all times, go, all the time. <laughs> go into any store the day after Halloween and see how it's covered in Christmas shit. <laughs> I like how in America we all pretend that Thanksgiving matters, but we all know, well, there's no presents or really decorations around Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving has to be ignored so we can start selling Christmas shit on November 1st. <laughs> it's just you got to eat all that to get energy to prepare you for the upcoming Christmas yeah, season. Yeah, basically. Not here in Canada, Liam. Much earlier here in Canada. 
um, talking about Thanksgiving, not Christmas. That would be fun. Wouldn't it be fun if in, in Canada, Christmas was like in the early November? Sure. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just start promoting that as an idea. Liam, last year when we did our uh, holiday special, it was actually our 150th episode of Cinema Smorgasbord. And we, as of the recording of this, it will be two episodes ago, just past our 200th episode, which does make sense, right? Around the 50 uh, weeks a year. Uh, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that we're just burning through all of these episodes? Oh, good. I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion. Why not? I just, do you take any pride in the fact that there's a podcast that you are part of, that you are the co-host of, that is, it, it, it's out there every week, you can, you can count on it, you can set it to your watch, that must be something worth being proud of, please tell me you're proud of it, Liam, please. <laughs> it's, you've put me in a tough position, Doug, because on one hand, I am very proud of it, and people, I think, know, but in case they don't know, Doug does all the work, I just talk into a microphone. <laughs> So, like, he really needs the affirmation. <laughs> On the other right. hand, you're really asking me to throw my other two co-hosts that I host podcasts with, who I've been recording with longer than I've been recording with you, sure. throw them under the bus because they are incapable of doing something Not twice at a all. month. This isn't, let this alone isn't about quality. This is definitely about quantity more than quality, though I like to think that we do a high quality but that's show. What I, but, that's what, that, but that's what I'm saying is that I love them. But when I acknowledge how amazing it is that we're actually able to do this regularly, I'm sort of also acknowledging that my other two shows, you could, not only could you not set your watch to them, you couldn't like tell what the season. You know what I mean? Like they're they're random. Like to find out when the next episode of Cinepucks is coming out, you literally have to like throw chicken bones and do a dance, and hopefully they'll tell you like r- r- vaguely when it's going to come out. I like how both of us have other podcasts that are very, very sporadic, but those ones actually bring in a little bit of money, and this one doesn't. <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't, don't know what that says. Don't, don't be fooled. None of my podcasts bring in any money. We do, we do sponsors to show that we can do it, but those people don't give us any money. Well, I was thinking about the Patreon. Oh, that's fair. Uh, it's still not that. Well, yeah. It's not much. It's, I did say not, a lot. It's, <laughs> it's not nothing. You're right. It's definitely not nothing, and I should be thankful for that, and I am. Uh, but I do think like it's a miracle that we have anyone on the Patreon. So, you know, thank God for that. <laughs> I always think about people who are supporting my work on Patreon are like, I- I'm just supporting Doug as a human being, right? It's not necessarily right. yes, even yes, the yes, work. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> thank you so much to anyone who does that. Liam, on this episode, we are returning back to the Weinoxt Film Festival in Berlin, Germany, which is an international festival of unconventional Christmas films. And today, we really are looking at some pretty unconventional holiday-themed movies, and uh, we might even have a conversation about whether both of them actually fit into that barbershop conversation of what a Christmas movie is. Uh, just going back, even though we have uh, covered this festival before, since uh, and I'm going to read right from their website here. Since 2016... Europe's only Christmas film festival presents the Christmas theme in all its wonderful and curious varieties. National and international feature films and short film programs bring a new light to the old-fashioned Christmas subject. Unconventional Christmas movies come to the foreground. Next to comedies, also critical, tragic, satirical, and scary movies are part of the program. Knowing that Christmas time polarizes many people, it is still worth to embrace the heartily spirit of Christmas. That, that part right there shows that this was German in origin. It is still worth to embrace 
the heartily spirit of Christmas. In the dark season of the year, the cinema turns into a magical place that makes you think, touches you, and sometimes casts a smile on your face. Uh, this is from the 2021 version of the festival. There was no 2022 version, but it will be returning in the year 2023. It'll actually be running uh, right around the time that we are uh, releasing this episode. The, the, the festival runs from the 21st to the 24th of December this year. I actually think that this episode is releasing on Christmas Day, Liam, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> Yay! Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. Come on, Liam. Merry um, Christmas. This is, because it's just a, a, such a short-lived festival in terms of the amount of days that it covers, there actually isn't a lot of films that do show, but just going through them briefly, uh, the movies that showed in the 2021 festival were uh, Runar, Runarsson's Icelandic, French, and Swiss movie Bergamal, uh, which is also known as Echo, uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is one of the movies that we're going to be talking about today, uh, Malus Jewel, a.k.a. Malu's Christmas from Denmark, uh, some documentaries including Dream Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas and Christmas Without China, and Family Rules, a German movie from 2007, as well as the other movie we'll be covering today, Tokyo Godfathers. Liam, have you heard of any of these other movies that were playing at that festival? No, not a single one. It is one of the fun things about this festival is that there really is an interesting mix, both in terms of genre and style. Can you imagine on Christmas Day watching like The Wolf of Snow Hollow or another like Christmas horror movie at, in a theater at a festival? I just think it's so interesting that they even have a film festival that's literally up to Christmas Eve. Just a whole different way of thinking about when a festival can actually be taking place. But yeah, it's a fun one to return to. And uh, and yeah, happening in 2023 as well. Lee, we got to get ourselves over to Berlin, Germany. Sure. What do you know about Germany? You ever uh, wanted to spend a little time in Germany? Uh, I, th I mean, here's the thing, Doug. I'd like to spend ah. a, a little time anywhere. I haven't sure. really traveled that much. Uh, if I was going to choose a place in Europe, it's on the list. I don't know that it's high on the list, but it's definitely on the list. What's the top of the list? <laughs> probably, probably Spain because uh, I'm really interested in the food. Uh, and but, you look like the people there. Well, <laughs> I think that's a point of contention, actually. Uh, but but uh, but it would be hard not to just go back to Ireland because it's the only place. It's you know I get it. Ireland's you know it's questionable if that if it counts as Europe or not. But uh, it is the one place I have been across the Atlantic Ocean, and I did very much love it when I was there. So, but part of me wants to say something like Spain or Italy, just because it makes more sense to go somewhere new. You know what mm, I mean? Like sure. Uh, it, as much as I would love to return to something that gave me a lot of comfort, I don't travel that much. So if I'm going to travel at all to Europe, it, it should probably be a new experience. And I think of the options, I, I do find Spain, maybe even Portugal, uh, the mm. most interesting just because uh, partly the food culture and then partly because I haven't been to Europe. Any place with that kind of history is going to be interesting. You know what I mean? But if I could go anywhere, I think I'm more of a let's go to Asia person than I am a let's go to mm, Europe person. But, sure. You know. I always think about – I'm like you, right? I don't travel very much. So you have to weigh it. Should I travel to a place that I know I already like because I may not get many more opportunities to do traveling? Or should I go to a place that I've always wanted to go to and risk maybe not having as good of an experience? But yeah, I'm like you. I'd rather go to a place I've never been to. Can't go to to Japan, Liam, because it's not made for someone like me. Because I'm so tall. <laughs> 
I think you'd be okay. It would be would fun. I? I think it would be funny, actually. You think personally. people would point and laugh every time I was walking down the street? Not every time. Whispers in the dark. The Japanese people are very upset about me. And me being very self-conscious about being in people's way. Feels like kind of a nightmarish scenario for me, Liam. But I am filled with a lot of anxiety. I was going to say, I think you're way over overestimating the response here. Yeah, maybe. I need to go to Ireland, which I've never been to. But that's where my people are from. Liam, just like you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know what? Funny enough, I've been to Ireland and I've been to Puerto Rico. So I have been to the two places sure, that two my, halves. My, my folks are from. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's weird is, I mean, I, I don't know my dad, so I wouldn't know anyone in Puerto Rico. But when I was in Ireland, because it was like a school-related trip to Ireland, I was in college at the time, I didn't get, it didn't even occur to me to try to connect to any relatives. And then... It turns out that, like, my mom knows cousins and stuff. Like, I have family that she knows in Ireland. And it would have been cool to try to, like, meet them or something. But it didn't even occur to me at the time. Well, maybe you need to go back and retrieve all that family, Liam. You know, it would be funny is we all have we have similar ancestors, right? Maybe we're, we're, uh, we cross over a little bit. <laughs> Answer me this. Do you have a lot of weird medical ailments that might come from years of inbreeding? <laughs> if so, <laughs> you, might, you might be a member of the Tilly family. <laughs> Liam, uh, we're here today to talk about Tokyo Godfathers and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Have you uh, had you seen either of these movies previously? Um, yes, mm. I've seen both of them previously. <laughs> Why did you have to think about that? <laughs> I was, because it, with Tokyo Godfathers, it's been so long since right. I like I saw it when it came out, and when I put it on to watch for this episode, I realized how much of it felt very new to me and i think it's just because i haven't seen it since 2003 and that's insane to say 20 years ago yeah so yeah it's been a while you know uh i had seen the wolf of snow hollow previously which is kind of rare on the show for me to see a fairly modern movie uh for a second time but i'd always wanted to see tokyo godfathers but i'd never watched it before so i'm very excited to talk about it unlike a usual episode of cinema fantastica liam we're not hitting these movies against one another. No. It wouldn't be fair, for one thing, because I actually like Tokyo Godfathers more than yeah. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. But also, I just think that this time of year, let's relax. Let's talk about two movies and our thoughts on them. Let's take a little break, and you're going to talk to me about 2003's Tokyo Godfathers. We'll be right back. この子は神様に取らさったクリスマスプレゼントうーん私たちの子供よええ大体こんなとこであかんもんの鳴き声してる方が変じゃんだから俺たちに何が出てるんだ親を探すわそうすっとってつまり俺たちはてめえの面倒
Tokyo Godfathers, directed by the iconic uh, Satoshi Kone. Uh, people who aren't huge anime people might still be familiar with his name, or at least the names of some of the movies he's most known for. Movies like Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, uh, Paprika, as well as a TV series, Paranoia Agent. Um, a lot of people I know who aren't big anime heads have still seen either Paprika or Millennium Actress. They had a lot of kind of like mainstream penetration. Uh, it's funny to hear you say that, Liam, because yeah. to me it's like Perfect Blue is the movie that like I hear people refer to all the time, mostly because of how much it influenced other directors. I hear that. I, 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 I'm not disagreeing with you, Doug. I just know that um, I've seen it mentioned a lot, uh, even in reading reviews of this movie. A lot of people mention specifically Paprika and Millennium Actress. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think partly because, though this movie was popular, and I think it it definitely is a movie that I think a lot of people saw when it came out. Sure. Um, when you read reviews sometime later of people, a lot of times it's people who weren't uh, watching these when they came out but are catching up with his work now. Sure, sure, sure. There's a lot of negative comparisons to specifically Paprika and Millennium Actress. I think because those movies are so reality bending, right. and this movie is a bit more of a standard narrative that I think yeah, people very are much so. caught off guard by that. But we'll address that in a second. Uh, I wanted to mention uh, Cone um, tragically passed away pretty young in uh, 2010 of pancreatic cancer, only 46 years old. I remember when that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, not that I'm. I don't want to put, present myself as like the biggest uh, anime head, but I was familiar with his stuff. So when it, that happened, I remember being pretty, you know, bummed about it because I think there was a, you know, a, a continued future. Like there, that the, the all these movies spoke to me of someone who would continue to put out amazing work, and so that's that's really sad that that was the end right there. Um, uh, this was co-written by. Uh, Kaiko Nobumoto. Uh, you may know her name uh, because she wrote the screenplay for Cowboy Bebop and created Wolf's Reign. Um, uh, also passed away relatively young, 57 in 2021. So uh, Tokyo Godfathers, it's a movie that I think of as being relatively popular. Uh, I, I see people talk about it not as much as Perfect Blue or Paprika or Millennium Actress. It's still a movie that I hear uh, people discuss. I will say, and I don't know how great a measure this is of its popularity, uh, we recently dropped the Tokyo Godfather shirt at uh, Rough Cut as part of our Christmas celebration, and not a lot of people bought them. I don't think it, at least in our audience, had quite the popularity that I thought it would. But Doug, I'm very curious to hear. This is a first time watch for you. Yeah. Um, were you actually? Let's let's jump ahead a little bit because I just want to know about this going in. Were you familiar with his other movies? I certainly was familiar with. I was familiar with him as a artist and his work, and I've seen Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, but I I would not in any way call myself an aficionado like yourself. I was very aware of his death because in our general circle, people were very mournful about it. People yeah. who probably were a little more familiar with his work than I was. And like yourself, I'm not really uh, someone who is steeped in anime. I've seen a lot of the more famous ones, like Cowboy Bebop and and things like that, but it's not something I keep up on to any great extent. Anime is also kind of a strange topic because it is so incredibly popular in the West now. When I was growing uh, up, it was certainly a very niche thing, but it's so popular. But it's hard to know what people are watching outside of like really big names like 
you know, One Punch Man or a Chainsaw. Is Chainsaw Man the one that's sort of big right now? I think um, so. And it, but like I, it you you. The groups where people are talking about that, I'm just not crossed over with a lot of those groups. So it's hard to know what is beloved and what's not. But I do know that one of the the properties that is, is Tokyo Godfathers. And I wonder why it doesn't get in uh, our group necessarily. I I refer to them like this. They're like this monolith. As much attention as uh, some of other of Khan's work. But maybe it's because it is a very seasonal movie. It's a movie that it really is meant to be watched at the end of the year. Um, it also is very, it is, as you already referred to, a much more realistically minded movie. Right. It is based on coincidence, but then again, a lot of holiday themed movies are, but it, it, it takes place in a very recognizable world and in a very recognizable place. And the, yeah, this was my first time experiencing it and I was blown away. I mean, so I expected, glad. I expected to like it, but maybe it's something about the year 2023 where I have to be a little careful how I say this. There were people in my life and outside of my life who I always thought of as empathetic people who have shown themselves to not be as empathetic as I thought they were. Okay. Who, or their empathy comes with um, categorization where they're empathetic about some people and not others. And this is a movie that is so steeped in empathy for people who are cast off by society that it, it just it really kind of filled me with a warmth. And I think a really kind of an appropriate warmth for this season. This is not a movie that shies away from the worst of humanity, not in any ways. In fact, what it shows is how those who are victims of a uh, society that's or really a <laughs> yeah, yeah, a society people who are victims of a uh, world that doesn't see them as as valuable as others, that they are continually victimized. We see mm-hmm. that they are uh, have to fall prey to homophobia and violence and just awful kind of, of uh, circumstances of just trying to survive from day to day. And we're speaking specifically of people with who have uh, limited housing, let's say, homeless people in this case. And it, but the fact that it also mixes in. A child who comes from a, a somewhat broken home. They all have compl- complicated backgrounds. And the fact that you have a trans character at its center in 2003, a movie that shows so much empathy for that character at a time when, oh God, I think about the sex comedies coming out of the US at that time period and how all the jokes about trans people that were in that. It just feels like a movie that comes from a place of real love and compassion. And this is a real important thing to kind of focus on at this time of the year. It, and I think it is the thing that kind of, it's not consistent among all holiday-themed movies, whatever you can really call that. It's not even consistent among the movies that we're going to necessarily talk about today. But in terms of something that kind of uh, hit the right spot for me at this time in this year, I was just so glad to see it. I think it's a really beautiful work of art. And the thing that it kind of left me with at the end was a sense of sadness, not for the movie itself, but just because Khan, yeah, he died at a very young age. Just think about right. another 20, 30, 40 years more uh, worth of work from him and more masterpieces like this. I think it just gives us more impetus to appreciate the work that he has left us with. I agree. I do think, um, and maybe I'm a little defensive of this because I did want to read some reviews and responses, both like official critical reviews, but, you know, general public reviews on Letterboxd. And sure. uh, the number of people who 
like this movie, but see it as inherently inferior to his other films simply because it's just a normal story and it's not a mind melting reality warp or whatever, you know, is really surprising to me because I find this movie so charming and so funny and just like, I don't know, almost overwhelming in its uh, combination of goodwill and grossness. And really, (laughs) it really plays on the idea that if we push certain things that are unpleasant and perhaps even more unpleasant in their original cultural context than they are to us, uh, then we can also push a certain kind of uh, sentimentality, goodwill, charm, like it, it really balances out some of the the saccharine nature that might be uh, uh, off-putting in other narratives because it's still grounded in a dark, flawed world and has some serious themes. The movie doesn't feel to me as ever getting corny, uh, which brings me to something I wanted to ask you about. One of the mm-hmm. concerns people have about this narrative, and it's something you already hinted at, is that like a lot of Christmas movies, it relies on coincidences and those coincidences are so coincidental that they basically feel like miracles, that this sure. is a series of miracles that at first you're like, oh, that's weird, or oh, that's funny. By the end, you're like, this movie is literally suggesting that some divine force is protecting this baby because the things that keep happening. Now, for me, I found that charming, but I was wondering for you, Doug, as a cynical person who hates humanity <laughs> and thinks goodwill is gross, how did you feel about the reliance on coincidences to the point of it almost nascently suggesting protection of some kind? Yeah, and not even I don't even think nascently. I think in the world of this, God exists and is right. looking down on these characters and is, you know, there's a hand being played here. And that is not inconsistent with a lot of Christmas movies, even, you know, even ones uh, that are based on, you know, even when like A Christmas Carol, even though that isn't necessarily um, a Christian themed movie, it is still talking about spirituality and ghosts and, you know, the the changing your ways and shit like that. Things that are um, that are not necessarily literal truths being said. So, no, I don't. But like, you know, the most famous holiday themed movie is It's a Wonderful Life, which is very similarly themed to this, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. I mean, it even has, you know, this is a movie that is still seeped in certain levels of violence and potential suicide. You know, that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, not that people forget that it's about a character who's trying to kill himself. But I mean, it is a movie that, that, um, that exists in a recognizable world that also has that extra level of fantasy or in the case of this particular movie um faith faith that actually plays out in a way that you me i should say i shouldn't say you (laughs) faith that plays out in a way that i wish it played out in the real world sure Um, yeah 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 yeah. so yeah so it's it's a wish fulfillment style movie but everything about it in a certain um way or another is wish fulfillment, right? Just the idea that these characters can find each other and find some level of happiness. But this is also a movie that it puts a lot of that kind of fantastical element in the background. You know, just the, not just the coincidence, but the fact that like the December 25th uh, number just keeps showing up again and again in the background. It's like that there is some sort of magic that's taking place. And I mean, look, you're right. I am cynical about this sort of thing, particularly when you enter religion into it, which this movie is overtly religious at times. 
However, if there's going to be a time where you can enter magic, magical reality, uh, this would be the time of the year. And I like I like a movie that embraces it while also it's funny, right? If, the, if all these people were robots, we wouldn't even question it. But right. because it is a very realistic style movie, a movie that some people would be like, why didn't they just make this live action? Let's not forget, this is also a beautiful movie to watch. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly well animated, incredibly stylized, but it also has so much life and energy to it. And yeah, no, I didn't have any issue with the coincidences at its core. I think it just makes it more resonant and, and enjoyable. I mean, and the part of the thing with me with even asking this question, Doug, is it is something that people seem concerned about. And it, it feels to me to some extent that they're ignoring that this is also a movie in which there's a there's a hit. Uh, one of our main characters gets beat up by bored teenagers, like mm-hmm. severely beat up. Like there's so much darkness in this movie yeah. that like feels accurate, by the way, to how life could be sometimes that I don't understand the, the any feeling that this is like too much in the way of like Christmas miracles. It really works for me. Uh, and I like, you know, to me, it's very non-specifically this way like clearly there is some goodwill towards them in the way the plot is working out but it's not pushing any sort of idea about what that means it's it's yeah. really if anything it, it has other things on its mind i want to bring up it's, it's not overly saccharine right i mean that's right, another right, thing right, right, right. that is the I, that is a very understandable complaint about a lot of holiday themed movies is that they're just too sickly sweet but no they're there is a lot of darkness in this and it doesn't shy away from that darkness. right 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 i wanted to ask you you pointed out the the um, compassion the movie has towards its characters. And I think it is inarguable to me that for 2003, this is a fucking unbelievably progressive portrayal of a lot of these ideas and characters and identities. I am curious, Doug, do you think uh, the Hana character is as relatable in 2023 as it might have been in 2003? You know what I mean? Like, is there some way that maybe we've progressed past this movie a little bit where now it's a little awkward or do you think it still works in the same way? If it was being made now, the presentation would be slightly different mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit more. And the very fact that trans people are thankfully more visible in 2023 makes it that the, a little bit of the awkwardness in terms of how characters react to the Hana character might be different in a 2023 portrayal. But, I mean, this is a movie about 2003 in some ways as well. Right. right? Yes. The very fact – I mean, it's, I think it's it, – it, it's not that they – there's never been a film before this one where a trans character is portrayed as a human being, as a central character, as someone worthy of love and compassion. But it's just that this movie puts them at the core of it. Look, it might there. I I could, I am not a trans person, so I can't speak for if if a trans person was to watch this and be like, oh, the fact that it's suggesting that all trans people uh, or trans women wish that they had babies or right, like that there might be generalities here that don't play out in the reality of the actual world in which we live. All I can say is, I was living in two thousand three. I saw how trans people were presented in movies. This is like night and day compared to mm-hmm, it. I can, mm-hmm. th- and it was it it was necessary for portrayals like this to be in mainstream media even if it was not as nuanced as maybe as it could or should be because that's the only way that you're going to switch the brain of those bigoted people but also people who have been the the negativity has been reinforced by media for decades and decades and decades this is the only way that you're going to kind of you know win hearts and minds through this sort of shit it's an important portrayal but it's also human right that they're not 
they're not being portrayed as being infallible. They're not being portrayed as being um, right all the time. I think it's just this is a very human movie about human people, and it just happens to be cartoons. I think because uh, Hana can be a bit over the top, some sure. people might find that portrayal a bit too comedic for their taste, Like almost like the joke is uh, her presentation. I don't think that's the intention. I certainly think for 2003, that would be a hard case to make because the other examples of this kind of character in media are so gross, you know, that this is undeniably in that context a lot more human than a lot of other things. However, even today, I think that um, anything in the movie that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was really the bias of another character, right? And it didn't yeah. represent the movie. And like when I, she was when she's when she's there with the driver, and just the mm-hmm. idea that she might be attracted to him makes him very uncomfortable. I mean. That is both a real thing that you know people have actually experienced, but also it's it's more about the biases of that character, as you said, more mm-hmm. than and and a, a realistic bias of that character than it is about trying to mock the main character, that con- Hannah's character in the movie itself. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think there is a, an effort, I think, to pull us into a world. And one of the 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 things about it is that the whole, everything about this context is hostile to them as people on the street anyway so this is just another Mm -hmm. layer of alienation that to try to negotiate and i think that it does a good job i particularly appreciated that the mother that she is alienated from not that she is not alienated from her parents as well but the mother that she's alienated from in the narrative is actually the mother of the place where she used to perform that it's actually a sort of like a house mother in a sense than it is her actual parents who she's so alienated from that they don't even really play into the picture you know what i mean and i thought that was an interesting detail again for a time where not as many people maybe had a view into that world it also plays into one of the themes of the movie which i think is this concept of found family and i I was curious doug like how compelling was that aspect of the movie for you because i think it is it's it's a complicated one because i think there is an assertion in the film that being reconciled with your biological family is a good thing and I worry that that is such a strong theme that people might ignore the value that these folks have also found in their found family. Does that make sense? No, 100%, particularly the way that it treats the suicidal mother character and the idea that her husband reconnecting with her might be a way to save her to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, when, you know, there there could be very good reasons that they... Whether it be mental health and you know, there there's suggestions that they've been abusive. It it kind of paves over a lot of the complexities in regards to that. But there are situations, like real situations, where people who are uh, estranged from their family they they manage to smooth that over in time and and really do reconnect on a deeper level than they did before. It's not impossible, is what I'm saying. But you're right; it does kind of simplify it. But it's impossible to ignore that at its core, this is a movie about three people from very different worlds who come together and have such love for each other that their connections are like that of a family, maybe even stronger than that of a family. And that's baked into the title of the movie itself. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a sense in which part of what's appealing about their care for each other is that it overcomes their tendency towards 
kind of anti-socialness, right? Absolutely. Like, that they are generally folks who are frustrated with the world around them, and yet somehow they've managed to band together. And I think that's supposed to be charming. I understand there are people for whom the ending might suggest that somehow uh biological family is superior to found family but i don't think that's i don't think that's what the movie's about if someone said that's what they got from it i wouldn't say like oh i know that's wrong but for me i i don't think that's the intention i think the intention is simply that some of these relationships can be healed and some of them can't right and yeah. that's worth figuring out uh one of the other things i was struck by uh, about this movie you know we asked this question at the beginning about how much this is a christmas movie and to me this is very much a Christmas movie that any skeptical person about what yeah. is it is not a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. You can't argue this is not a Christmas movie. So much so that I found myself wondering, Doug, and I know you're an expert on Japan, so I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> is Tokyo actually this Christmassy at Christmas time? Because this is a movie in which we're presented with a world that is very embedded in this season, even though... Uh, you know, we open with a religious scene, right? And it's pretty clear that the folks who are listening to this preacher at the beginning <laughs> of the movie don't give a fuck about what he's saying, which is not really that different than a lot of places that I've served uh, who try to preach to people before they give them food. Is a you know more than half, if not all, the people are thinking, "Great, great, great, just give me my food," right? Uh, because they, you know, when you're hungry, you're hungry. But I was struck by even outside of that context, like we leave the church and we go to the rest of Tokyo. Still a lot of fucking Christmas going on. And I I'm not saying that's a big surprise, but I was a little surprised at the the intensity of the Christmasness of Tokyo. Do you think that's real or do you think that's amped up for the movie itself? Well, there they have annual gift man and he lives on the moon. That's my understanding. Is that right? <laughs> no, that's the Simpsons joke. Oh, where right. John Waters said it. Fuck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, reference, though. Good reference. I watch a lot of programs like um my wife watches like vlogs and stuff from people who live in Japan. And like there definitely is a recognition of Christmas as being a special time that people spend together with their family. Do you know what's really popular in Japan? Like, this is like a, a noted thing that that people get Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas. I've heard this. I've heard that. The, and not only that, that the Kentucky Fried Chicken in Japan is far superior to what we know here in the States. Like that you get like you order it like months in advance because yeah. otherwise it'll all sell out. And there are these huge like collections of holiday themed. Well, they're both chicken, but sides and things like that. It's like it's like a huge thing in Japan. But I love that. I, I mean, I look, I don't like the, the capitalism aspect of it, but I just like the idea of tradition like that in any way that is yeah. built. That is kind of a more modern tradition. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, look, you're right. It is a very Christmassy movie, and it's all around. But when you compare it to the Christmassiness of a major city in the U.S. or Canada, it's still very, very toned down, right? It's not That's like every, fair. That is very Every fair. shop doesn't have, like, lights in the windows and, and Santa Claus hats and stuff like that. I bet it is very um, – I think it's it, it's fully representative of what that would be like. It's even down to the fact that another big difference is that things seem to be open on Christmas, you know, right. <laughs> that, that, that like they're able to hang out in like coffee shops right around that time of the year. It, it's not all closed down. Like it, it tends to be exact, at least where, where I grew up and where I live currently. So yeah, I think it's probably pretty reflective of it. I don't know about Christianity because it is not the major religion of Japan. Right. Whether that, that kind of core of it is, is reflected as well. But like, you know, if you just, if you were an alien and you came to the U S or Canada and just saw the lights and the Santa Claus imagery, 
you wouldn't necessarily connect that to any religion no. either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I do like that the movie shows us multiple contexts for charity on Christmas, right? We're right. not just at the church. And I mean, maybe some people will be offended by it, but I thought the vibe that the movie starts with of like maybe this is not the best place to be on Christmas, this church service that they're <laughs> uh-huh. at. I kind of like that. I thought that was very fun for me. But, but I just um, like the idea of like it being like vegetables for the, like, like before dessert. You know, the, the, the idea that it starts with the singing and then the preaching and everyone's just waiting to get through it to, so they can eat. But it even kind of pans over to the schedule to show that, okay, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to put up with this in order to get it. And really, it's only the Hana character who is engaged with any of it at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, yeah. I, and uh, yeah, I don't want to suggest that I actually buy into this uh, weird idea that Christmas is just for religious people. In fact, I was kind of arguing the opposite earlier. So I, I sure. hope that's clear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I do think like the amount of it, I, I one of the things I've thought is that while I know Christmas is kind of a lot of places that there would be places that it's a lot more minor or not really that big a deal. Um, maybe because I, even though I like Christmas, it does get a bit overwhelming here. Sure, so absolutely. being somewhere where people like it, but it's not that big a deal. Uh, I also, you know, just was curious in the sense of like, is it maybe focused on in the context of the movie? Because that's what the movie's kind of about is this general goodwill thing. I, I don't know, but it, it was interesting to see and be like, wow, that's a lot of, Christmas joy. I mean, the teenagers beating up homeless people. That's a little less on the Christmas joy tip, but there was still a lot of other things going on. Um, that feels like that comes from a real place too, though. You know? Well, and that's what I wanted to talk about next. Uh, Doug, how familiar are you with homelessness in Japan and sort of how things go in in that world? Not at all. My only understanding about homelessness in Japan is my understanding of a lot of criminality in Japan in that. I think the West has a skewed view of it because it goes so underreported and it's hidden away to a certain extent. Right. Though, I, I, again, I, I don't know enough about it to speak with that with any authority. But it's, it's you know, I currently live in a city where homelessness is rampant and it's visible everywhere you go all the time. And I grew up in a place where homelessness was something I saw on the TV. I never experienced it in it visibly at all i just never saw it anywhere that i went even into the city that was nearby so i've seen that progression in my own life uh of its visibility and people's more both greater concern and their greater uh hardening to it and ignoring of it at the same time so it is interesting to see it from the perspective of of japanese homelessness particularly at the time of the year this movie takes place in which is a very dangerous time of the year if you're homeless. right Yes, 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 yes. I agree with that entirely. I think, again, I, I'm not an expert at all. My experience only comes from being someone who used to work with homeless folks and who did research on sort of approaches around the world. And um, honestly, where I worked, Doug, there was a, a gentleman who had uh, emigrated to Philly from Tokyo and and was homeless. And his feeling was that it was mostly ignored in his experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he really felt compelled by what we were doing to eventually return home and, you know, uh, uh, participate in creating some sort of like direct charity, kind of like what we were doing. And we eventually got volunteers at the church who were also from Japan and they all connected with each other. And they all felt the same that like this was not that while there were food programs, 
which was sort of on the surface what we were doing, there weren't as many programs that were connected to other services, other social services, you know? And there was even some skepticism from them as to what services were even available to mm. transition people out of that condition. Uh, and, you know, from that, re from talking to them and then doing research on my own, I do think there's a bit of hostility there, which that might have changed over time. It's hard to say, you know? It's been a while since I was doing that kind of, of, of work. And, you know, I've seen videos on YouTube of people talking about it and stuff, but nothing that really is definitive. So I, I don't want to put that forward. But I do think it's worth mentioning, especially 2003 was closer to the time where I was doing this kind of work. I do think there, at that time at least, was a bit of hostility to the idea itself, that they, that there even was a problem that had to be dealt with. So to make this movie, I think, is even a little bit more radical than we might immediately give it credit for. because. Sure. I think your point is right. Well, there might be aspects of it that we find a little excessive in certain ways or maybe a little distasteful. Anything humanizing people who are living on the streets uh, in a context where that is very, I don't know, kind of controversial, you know? And and I don't want to set that apart from us. It's not like America is filled with compassion. But um, it, especially if it's a if it's a the relationship is based a little bit on kind of denying that the problem is maybe as widespread as it is mm -hmm. um i just think that's a pretty radical move you know and again things might have improved since i last was looking at uh, some of that information but i think that making this kind of movie in america is a little different because even though we are hostile to folks who are living on the streets as, as all you need to do is talk to anyone on the streets to know that sure in our popular imagination we pretend that we're not that we fill our sitcoms, our movies, with stories of people who get a chance or who are given opportunities, which in real life are almost never actually available, right? Right. That, that we have – it would be less surprising to make a narrative like this in, in our context because we tell ourselves the lie that this is – not that people are in this situation and then we help them get out of it, which is not really true. There are – programs out there people doing great work but the system itself is not actually de de uh, designed to help anyone get out of homelessness that's it's it's pretty hostile towards them uh, but but i think because our attitude towards it is a little bit like oh yeah this is tough but like you know people we, people turn their lives around uh which is you know kind of true and kind of not true depending on what we mean by that um i think that it, it would be more relatable in our context to make something like this even in 2003 uh uh but i think in the context of japan it's it's pretty radical i think or at least at that time to just be like these people are really like again like we said I, maybe god isn't the right word maybe it's some other kind of divine force but something is at work in their lives and not just like protecting them and turning their lives around but really we see them as the heroes. Like it doesn't yeah. matter how angry they get, how drunk the the you know uh, the one dude gets. I forgot his name already. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, or or even how Hana can be really charming and then really oh Jin Jin yeah. you know gets drunk <laughs> a bunch. Hana goes from being sweet to just utterly hostile. Uh, you know um, uh, what what's her name? Uh, Miyuki is like the most sullen teenager who ever did sullen, you know sure. what I mean? And yet there are heroes and we love yeah. them, you know? And I think that that matters. I don't think that's insignificant uh, in understanding this movie is that it takes this context that some people might be even hostile to the idea of the context 
and makes it a place for miracles. And I think there's something about that, you know? It's about it's about people who care in a world that doesn't care for them, right? Yep, yep. And I think that when it comes to major issues like homelessness, you can't start solving them until you acknowledge that they exist in the first place. And I think that that might be one of the issues that we're dealing with in regards to the Japanese response to it, where if to, to acknowledge it means that you have to uh, recognize it on a wider scale, and then you have to start building programs. And maybe that has changed a lot in the last 20 years, or maybe it, I'm not viewing it re- realistically in terms of how the Japanese perspective was in 2003. I just know what I've seen in my own life, and you, people will ignore things right up until the point where it's right up in their face. Yeah, 100%. Um, can you rank this movie, Doug, on your list of Christmas movies that don't suck? <laughs> Which I'm assuming you you have one. Where would this Where would this place on that list? Now I have to be honest that I like a lot of the schmaltzy. Oh, there you go, movies, there you go. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, so and 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 I don't include "It's a Wonderful Life" in there, but I do like a lot of them. But I have to say, when it comes to my favorite holiday themed movies of this time of the year, I do like the ones that have darker elements to them, ones that feel like they exist more in a recognizable, if not in a recognizable reality, then at least that there are sections of it that I can connect with my own life that include that level of darkness. And with that in mind, with a movie that kind of treats things seriously while also having a light touch and a lot of really beautiful, but also with a lot of humor in it, it's right up near the top. I mean, this is a superior Christmas movie in every way. Yeah, I got to agree. It's it's magical. I can't wait till Maeve is a little bit older. She's still mm-hmm. a little young for it. Uh, just a few too many serious themes, like a mom possibly jumping off a building holding a baby, you know? Uh, but <laughs> I, I don't think she has to honestly be that much older, because even with the dark themes, there's so much life-affirming joy in this movie that... I want to share it with her as soon as I can because I think it's I think it's a magical film. Uh, there's probably more to say, but we we have a whole other movie to talk about, Doug. So let's wrap up there. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and you'll tell me about this Jim Cummings guy and, and whatever he's doing in Snow Hollow. You know, <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. I've been in the program now for six years. Sober for three. This is scary. It's new. I never saw a body like that. There's gonna be a lot of late nights and overtime because of the brutal murder that happened in town. And I didn't want to set up expectations that I can't keep. Our expectations of you are very low. Spans the bites are gigantic. Same as the distance of the paw prints. It's a wolf. Or maybe it's a werewolf. No, let me just make this perfectly clear. There is no such thing as werewolves. Our killer is a guy and I'm gonna find him and I'm gonna kill and we're gonna bring him to justice. We have every reason to believe that this monster will show up again tonight. I won't ask you to pray with me because of the goddamn lawyers. Where were you? Where were you? John, none of you talked to me once, okay? They're saying it's a wolf. No, it's a man. When do I get to be right about something? Terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered after each full moon. 
Rumors grow, a werewolf is on the loose, local police officer Marshall is leading the investigation. Losing sleep, raising a teenage daughter, and caring for his ailing father, Marshall struggles to remind himself there's no such thing as werewolves. It's The Wolf of Snow Hollow from 2020, directed and written by Jim Cummings, also known for the 2016 film Thunder Road, uh, which started as a short film but then was turned into a feature in 2018, as well as uh, the beta test from 2021. Uh, He's really kind of, uh, Jim Cummings as an artist, because he also stars in this as well, he's really kind of cultivated a very specific tone in the movies that he makes. I hear it compared to like the uh, the work of Jody Hill, like uh, um, like Eastbound and Down type style humor. I don't know if that's necessarily accurate to what we're seeing here, but this is kind of a really strange movie in a lot of ways because it's a mix of horror and comedy, which of course is not that uh, unusual, but it really does have this complex, dark kind of an asshole character at its center played by the director and i'm really curious to hear how you responded to it liam it also is kind of an interesting mystery and one that the first time i watched this i was very confused by the ending i actually had to look it up it actually does reward i think uh um, repeated viewings which we both have now experienced uh what do you think of this movie and what do you think of jim cummings uh i now on second watch I like this movie even more than I did the first time. I think because on my first watch, I thought it was good, uh, but I thought a lot of it was about this mystery, right? And the reveal. Mm -hmm. And I found the reveal very, um, how do I want to put this? Clever. And I worry that it was more clever than good, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That he had figured out this funny way to end the movie, and the movie just existed to support that ending. And that didn't make me hate the movie, but I was not as excited about it, I think, the first time. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was. But I remember going into this thinking, like, man, I hope this holds up, because I remember kind of liking it. But I also remember knowing a lot of people who fucking hated this movie. Yeah, there's some people who really dislike this movie, particularly because of that element that you said, that they feel like, the mystery is a bit of a cheat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, on rewatch, I was much more clear that this is not about the fucking mystery. This is a movie about John Marshall, the character, mm-hmm. about his relationship to his dad, about his relationship to his family, but really about his relationship to what he thinks he is in the world and how that's feeding his rage problem, feeding his alcoholism Mm -hmm. and feeding his inability to do his job very well. Because if you really pay attention to this movie, you'll notice he's bad at this, Doug. He is a bad cop. Not just a bad cop. It's it's something people miss in this movie. He's a terrible cop. He's a terrible police officer. And it's filmed in a way where maybe you are distracted from that because he's our main guy. But you're really supposed to notice that it doesn't matter how much he yells. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And he Mm -hmm. has clearly never known what the fuck he's doing. And he's doing this not really to save anyone. It's to prove himself. And that's what the movie's about. And it's really only he only has any insight and makes any good decisions a, when he's given up some, some if not all of his pride, right? And B, when it's too fucking late. By the time he figures it out, when it all comes together for him, he almost just dies, right? Like, I don't want And it know, has to be staring at him in the face at the time that it's happening. In the fucking right? face. While, while the one competent character in the entire fucking movie figures it out with the littlest piece of evidence possible. Right, 100%. And so I say all that to say... 
once I understood the focus more, I think the movie is more appealing to me. But I also understand why some people might not love it because maybe you don't want to spend time with John Marshall. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if I understand people's frustration with the movie as not being about how uptight they're going to be. Well, can we just say spoilers, Doug? Because I'm going to find it frustrating to discuss. This is really difficult for me because it is not very old movie, but the spoiler is such a huge part of where people, their reaction to it lies. And the, the, the spoiler, the ending of it, the reveal of what the werewolf is all about. It's baked into almost all of it. So yeah, let's, let's put a spoiler warning up now. Uh, I hope that everyone listening has checked out The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I'm just going to say right up before you get into the spoiler, I love this movie. I know at the beginning it kind of seemed like when I said that I thought that Tokyo Godfathers was a better movie. I do, but I really like this movie, and I like it's it just more an un- it's an unfair comparison. Here. Tokyo yeah, Godfathers exactly. is a movie for the ages. This is a really good genre film. This is just a really good genre movie, but a really good genre werewolf movie is so fucking rare. So goddamn rare. <laughs> and also a really effective horror comedy. Yeah. Now, now I will say I th- I do think the comedy is more effective than the horror, and we'll get into that maybe sure. in a sec. But not in a way that diminishes the. It's not that it doesn't take the horror seriously. It's again, the the murders are the inciting incident, right? But mm-hmm. the movie is about John Marshall and his relationship to all these other characters, right? And so, as much as it can, it takes the horror seriously, but it also has to spend a lot of time with John so that we understand who he is, which again, might be why people aren't as stoked on the movie. Okay. Spoiler. We're about to talk about the ending. If you're not into that, skip whatever, but I don't know what else we're going to talk about that's worth listening to. So maybe come back. (laughs) No, there's other stuff to talk about. (laughs) Whatever. We'll get there. But let me just say this. Now that we've said spoiler warning, I'm about to do it. When people's only complaint was that they wanted it to be a real werewolf and they didn't like that it was a tall guy in a fake wolf suit, I got so goddamn mad because I just thought that's just a fun thing. And I get it. Like maybe it's cheap to you. But to me, I I don't know. I just thought it was cool and it didn't bum me out at all that it wasn't a werewolf. I just Mm -hmm. that was so stupid to me and I got really annoyed. Now, the manner of the reveal maybe felt a little cheap to some people, but I feel like if you're really paying attention, it all kind of comes together for you. In, in my mind, it all kind of comes together. When you look back on it, and when like I, like I said, I didn't understand it very well at the first, and then I was reading back and now rewatching, it, I'm like, oh shit, this is a movie you actually have to pay attention to, right? Because it is telling you, even though you're not noticing, like the idea, and this is just a small element of it, that it's some. They make a real point that at the beginning of the movie, where the two characters, uh, the woman gets this killed, but they're they're staying at this uh, small cabin, that all the knives and sharp implements have been removed. And you see it at the beginning, and then you never really think about it again. But that's a huge clue as to yep. what's going on. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, anyway, so so I, that was really frustrating to me, Doug. And I don't want to disrespect people, but it seems like a, it, it's a complaint I don't understand. However, now that I've watched it again, and I really understand how much the movie revolves around Jim Cummings' creation of this character, portrayal of this character, ways that the movie kind of revolves around his relationships – if someone's criticism of the movie is they didn't want to hang out with John Marshall for uh, 90 minutes, that's actually a stronger criticism to me. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, this kind of story is maybe, maybe this was maybe the wrong time for this kind of movie in the sense that I think people are getting a little overwhelmed with humanizing portrayals of dickheads. 
Sure. That's such a popular trope right now, more in television maybe than movies, but it is generally popular, that if someone said, I'm just tired of spending time with like jerk-offs who are not good people, I get that. I understand that. I actually I actually um, can vibe with that. It's just not how I feel. I think this movie is, is funny. I think it does the horror elements well. And I think ultimately John Marshall is kind of sympathetic even though I think he sucks and I and I I take some pleasure in being uh grossed out by some of his behavior and really thinking he's a jerk off in the end I am sympathetic to him and I think that the movie does that and and I think it does it well and maybe that's because I like Jim Cummings I like his style of humor I like the tones that he sets I like the way he does I get it. He's yelling a lot of times, and maybe that's a little too one note for people. But for me, Doug, when he is trying to shoot the werewolf, which is not a werewolf, and he hears his daughter's voice, the look on his face, that's not bullshit, man. That's a performance. Like, I saw that and thought – I actually paused it and rewound because I thought – no one stop telling me Jim Cummings can't act, you motherfuckers. I'm telling you right now, he is a great actor. He's so fucking good. And I keep seeing people be like, oh, I don't, you know, Jim, all he does is yell. All he does is yell. I'm like, okay, maybe if you want to say to me, in his script writing, he's relying too much on anger as a motivation. Okay, <laughs> sure, I'll take that. But if you want to tell me that all he does is yell, you're just not fucking paying attention. In my mind, you're just not paying attention. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. Anyways, sorry, I'm ranting too much. Um, <laughs> I just want to say that part where his daughter is in hospital and he puts her thumbprint on her phone so he could read the text from yeah. her boyfriend. Yeah. And then he goes over immediately to beat the shit out of him. That stuff is so, it's so funny and so weirdly human. The fact that it ends up with him getting pepper sprayed. And then once his face is revealed, his mother recognizes that it's a cop. And she's like, what did you do to that poor girl? I mean, it's just such... Such a interesting small town moment. Yeah. Um, I would thought that you may have wrinkled against this movie because of its portrayal, because it's centered around a police force. But the other thing that this movie is really about is the fact that the, all of the men in this police force are fucking terrible. And they're all angry and they're all violent and they've all internalized things. And in fact, that speaks to the wider theme of the movie as a whole, mm-hmm. which is that men, be, because they are frustrated and angry and that they have no way to communicate because they've not been taught ways to communicate properly, that they are scary. And, yeah. you know, the, that the only difference between who is revealed as the villain in this movie and John Marshall's character might be the uniform that he wears to a certain extent and maybe a, 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 a um, maybe a couple of years away, maybe more years of drinking. I mean, the way that he's so hostile to all the women in his life is something that you can't help but notice. And you have Ricky Lindholm's character, again, the only competent cop on this entire police force. Mm-hmm. But you even see the way that Robert Forster, who's so great in this, by the way, and how great is it to see him? I think this is like his final role, right? It I mean, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just a, a beautiful performance, but just the way that he is so unwilling to accept his own health oh, issues yeah. Yeah. that it kills him. I mean, it literally kills yeah. him in the movie. And then you have a son who is like so frustrated and so angry about it and is willing to yell at his father about it, but not in a way that's productive in any way. It's a really interesting movie. I and, think I think it doesn't help though, Doug, that this came out after Thunder Road, which was yeah. kind of a cult hit. But my man played two cops in a row, 
Yes, and I almost exactly if, the same kind of cop too. And I wonder if that's part of the problem is that people are conflating Thunder Road and The Wolf of Snow Hollow and just being like, it's the same character in two different movies, which mm-hmm. I don't think is fair to Jim Cummings. No. And it's not fair to the strength of this script. And that I love Thunder Road. I think Thunder Road is very funny. This is such, in my mind, a better constructed movie. Thunder Road is kind of like a really charming extended skit, right? It's fun. It's silly. It's not a real fucking movie, no matter how funny you think it is. This is an actual movie, and maybe it doesn't all work for you. It's put together in a way that I didn't think he was capable of, and it was really impressive to me and continues to be really impressive to me. Uh, I'm sorry. I cut you off. We'll we'll continue your point. All I was really going to say, because I am so impressed by Jim Cummings, you know that there's a, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, there's a subset of people in our circle, the thing that I keep talking about on this episode, who hate Jim Cummings because when he like joined social media, he followed everybody, but as soon as he had a successful movie, he unfollowed everybody. Uh, I, I've heard people be upset about that to this day, that this is something that they hold against him. It's like, this guy's the real deal. He's an actual filmmaker, and that's one of the things that is so impressive about this, is that this isn't just like a clever script and a, a good performance from him. Like He wrote and he directed it, and this is a beautifully made movie. The way that they present the werewolf is really, really well done, where it's a mixture of practical and digital effects, but it doesn't feel super cheap. Like This is a movie that is just a real success on all levels, and I, uh, I'm, I'm, and, and the fact that, uh, like you were saying before, that on first watch, it might feel like it's just about this mystery at its core, and that's all you should be paying attention to. Uh, especially because he says that he, he started with the ending and he worked back in terms of how he constructed it. It's to me, it's like the ending is still, I think, actually cool and it works out really well. But it's uh, it's such a small part of what I love about the movie. Right. It's like he had a good kind of fun idea, but then he built a story around it that isn't about this reveal. It's about the characters. And that that matters to me. And maybe that doesn't matter to some people. I'm not trying to dis- disparage people as film watchers, but some of the vibe I got was that people wanted it to be more uh, a narrative movie that had interesting characters, where I think it almost functions as a character study that is yeah. wrapped around a mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, comp- for me, that's compelling. Uh, did you see his other movie, The Beta Test? I haven't. I actually heard it's quite good. I think it's good. I think it is another movie that has a kind of um, surprising reveal. And I think that turned people off mm. a little bit. I also think it's another movie where he plays a dickhead. And I think that's part of the reason that we haven't, he hasn't gotten quite the hype around him again, is that people are a little like, oh, in just playing monsters, maybe he's humanizing jerks. It's, and, it's, it is funny when he showed up in that last Halloween movie as a cop again. Mm-hmm. But I just think with him, maybe he is humanizing jerk-offs but uh here's the thing that we all need to remember uh jerk-offs are human right like whoever you hate they probably suck and they probably deserve all kind of bad things happening to them they're also people right like that doesn't change anything and so for me he never goes so far in my mind in these three movies he's made in justifying their bad behavior he just humanizes them while showing that they are shitty this character uh, John Marshall, he's maybe people are wowed by the aesthetics of him, how he pre- he's presented, but 
everything he does is wrong. He threatens a librarian. The next time you wake a cop up in here, they might shoot you. Yeah. That's, he's, right? He is our protagonist. He is not a hero, right? He is bad at everything he does. He's an idiot. And the only thing about it that's compelling is seeing him work through his flaws, right? And seeing him maybe get back to a place where he isn't a problem to everyone around him. That doesn't make him the fucking hero. And I think some of the response, and not all of it, there are other reasons maybe not to like this movie, like I said, but some of the response to the movie kind of was like, why should I root for this dickhead? And I'm like, you probably shouldn't, actually. The only thing that is worth rooting for is I'd like this creature or dude in a creature outfit to stop murdering people. That would be good. But that's about it, right? You know, There are hints that if he wasn't such a piece of shit, that he could be a good cop. Right. Sure. Like yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are moments throughout it, but he's always he's always getting in his own way. And I do feel like and this is one of the questions that the movie doesn't answer or maybe it does. And I just don't understand it when he figures out that the um, the 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 forensics guy, the morgue guy through the bottle. I think he's just guessing like or he sees something in the guy's eye that reveals that I don't think there's any evidence that we're ever presented with that the guy did it. But that's a really satisfying moment because he's he's taking down an asshole, even though he's an asshole himself. But all of the actual police work is better done by, again, the one competent character. And again, Jim Cummings' character is the loudest of all the cops, but he all of them are pretty terrible from what we see. But when he oh, gets yeah. angry at that other cop for... Uh, for spouting off and revealing too much to the the reporters that are there, and then he takes them aside, and then they just get into a big fight, and then he fires them the next day. Ah, uh, boy, it is. Th- th- this is a dysfunctional look at how probably too realistically how a police force actually runs in a small town. I did want to get your take though on something, Liam, which is the final thing that happens in the movie where his daughter has gone off to college. And he leaves something for her. And on his way out, he hears one of the the college guys talk about how, like, there's fresh meat from the gymnast who just arrived. Speaking specifically of his daughter. It's pretty clear that he's left a gun for her. What do you think about that? Um, I don't love it per se, but I think it works for the character. I yes. think I think it's a it is a we're given a mixed message. He's clearly not fully changed because he just left a gun for his daughter which is not a good parenting move on the other hand he doesn't assault those boys and i think it's pretty clear that in other situations he (laughs) might have assaulted those boys (laughs) so i think i think that's the thing is like he is growing well and again it's not a coincidence that this is a movie about an alcoholic right it's It's also not a coincidence that the it's about a wolf man who attacks women because he hates them Right. This is right. about men being violent against women and women having to protect themselves against it. So I could see how that plays into his decision as well. Yeah, it's 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 this idea that maybe um, a well, a it, I, this part is it maybe definitely there is something wrong with men. There's almost no unflawed man in this movie, I would say. Even the man who all we know about him is that he is protective of his brother who is gay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all we know about him. He turns out to be a dickhead too. Every man in the movie is a dickhead that we see on on screen. Right. I like, do want to say though, like that guy. That's just, that's an interesting character because that feels very true to life. Like, like at first you're like, oh, he looks like a meathead type guy. He reveals himself to be sensitive because of his brother being gay, and when someone uses the F slur in the movie, but that part in the movie where 
they're they're like dropping off his things and he starts to cry when his and his mother comes over that feels like it comes from such a real valid place mm-hmm. and also the way that people reveal things about themselves when they're trying to be tough i mean the part afterwards where he tells him to shoot this, shoot him in the head until he can see the ground that part is is representative of a shitty male you know right aggro view of the world but that's that's reflective of all the characters all the male characters in this movie are they're so stifled by right. these expectations that have been put on them well and i think in a way then it's not just his alcoholism right that john is struggling with he's struggling with masculinity and in a sense with aa the message is like you keep starting over and when you start over, on one hand, it's a full start over, right? Mm-hmm. You have to start the days over again. On the other hand, that this might be the time that you stick with it. You never know which last time will be the actual last time. Sure. And so I think he's making a direct comparison between AA and not being a misogynist piece of shit. That, like, there are plenty of men who know something is wrong, but it's going to take them a while to figure it the fuck out. Right. And I think that's the picture we get of John Marshall. And I don't think that's a defense. Again, we're supposed to think it's stupid that he has left this gun for his daughter. We're not supposed to think, yeah, good job or up, you know, John will be John. We're supposed to be like, fuck, man, really? But there's a little note of hope that he doesn't punch some random college kids in the face. And sometimes that's all you're going to get is that little note of hope that like, okay, he's getting some of his shit together, but his life is not perfect. It's not like, all right, well, I almost got murdered by a man in a wolf suit, so now I'm a good guy. Nah, man, that's not how this shit is going to go at all. And I think that is, for me, well done. You know, Again, I think there's a big difference between thinking there's something essentially wrong with this movie and maybe suggesting that, if and when Jim Cummings writes another script that he's going to direct and star in, maybe less yelling. He yells in all three movies a lot, and maybe, I, I, maybe, he's maybe, so funny, maybe a though. little less. I he, get it. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> I agree. It's funny to me too, but I understand when people are tired of it. It does feel kind of like telling like Danny McBride to stop being an asshole in the movies, right? When like that's that's his whole deal. But yeah, but, I'd here's, like to see a- but here's the thing: Danny McBride has found roles where he's not a total asshole. That's true, but he's Jim Cummings hasn't had as many roles as Danny McBride right. has. That's fair. that's also fair. Well, but this is the difference, though, to me too. He's writing these things. Maybe yeah. Jim Cummings needs to star in someone else's script, right? Or yeah. write and direct a movie that he doesn't star in, and let someone else do some yelling for a while if that's yeah. what he wants to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But still, get, get Tim Robinson in there instead. <laughs> but I don't mean that as a huge criticism because i like this movie and i liked the next movie too i just think by the next movie i understood people who were like hey man it's a lot of still a lot of yelling buddy we're doing a lot of yelling and i think that that it's again it's like uh jack black right i actually think jack black shtick is cool but i understand that after a while people were like more of this guy we're doing more of this thing we're just still doing it i get it it got old and he needed to try other things and i would say that I don't believe Jack Black has as wide a range as Jim Cummings either. So I would like to see Jim Cummings do other things. But that being said, I do think this movie's pretty good. And, and while I don't love the the gun thing on a certain level, from just a narrative perspective, I get it. I get why he made that decision because he didn't want us to see him reaching out towards his daughter and assume like he changed because he leaves two things. He doesn't just leave the gun. He left condoms. So the yep. condoms suggest... He's grown. And the gun suggests, but not that much. 
<laughs> I guess I worry a little bit that some people will watch that ending and be like, oh, yeah. Like, what, like they'll see it as this cool dad move as opposed to, oh, this guy, the experience has fucked him up or his whole life has fucked him up to a certain extent. But it's also fucked him up in the way that it's like, oh, you need superior firepower against these young college guys. I mean, maybe he's I, I partially right. I can't worry about what stupid people think when they watch this movie, Doug, <laughs> because the reality is the whole thing is subtle. Figuring yeah. out that there's a guy in a wolf outfit is subtle. You're not just going to get that. You have to pay attention. Even like the reveal, like I'm sure that moment is different for people who don't see it coming at all, right? Sure. But like at least on second viewing, if not a little bit on first viewing, I think the first viewing I knew something was wrong because he was crouching so much. There was such a yeah, crouch yeah. to him. I thought. Mm-hmm oh, fuck, what's going on here? And then the reveal was, like, amazing, you know? So, anyways, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's just, I mean, it's funny because the reveal, because he's the last, you know, there's only a few minutes left in the movie. You know what's going to happen here to a certain extent. Right. But the, the reason why it's happening, that is something that I didn't pick up on entirely. Also, I, I mean, look, I just wasn't paying enough attention that I didn't recognize the character from his many appearances earlier in the movie. It had just, it had just, left my memory which is exactly I don't know if on a first viewing if anyone solved this mystery you know before they get to it right Uh, right because you would have to be looking in these right places but I do think it's possible to solve it and that is something that so many mystery based movies in recent years just they're impossible to solve so I think that there's something pretty clever to it and but the cleverness isn't the core of the movie and and let's not uh, get it twisted this is a very funny movie. I think it's more funny than it is horrific, but it's still very funny. But I want to ask you, Liam, is it a Christmas movie? I would actually say that if someone wanted to say this isn't a Christmas movie, I feel that to a certain extent. That like the Christmasness of it is not the point of the movie, if that's what you're looking for. It's not even a strong element in the visuals of the movie. You know what I mean? But thematically, if you think of Christmas, not the values of the holiday, but about how for many people, Christmas is about reckoning with your family and thus your past. It is, in that sense, very much a Christmas movie. Yeah. And I think that is compelling to me. If, if he wanted to say, this isn't a movie about Christmas, but the Christmas setting of the movie is important for some of the themes of the movie, I could see that because there is that going on in the movie. But if someone else wanted to say, I wouldn't put it on my list as an important movie for Christmas movies, I also see that. I also see that. But for me, as I've already established, I don't give a fuck. If Christmas is in the movie, <laughs> if Christmas is in the movie, that's good enough for me. So this is a Christmas movie for me. I, mean, I, I feel exactly the same. You know, it does. It plays into the themes of it a little more closely than other movies that people accept as Christmas themed movies. And uh, I just like that it is very backgrounded. The fact that it's taking place during this season that you just hear this a little song in the background or see, it, you know, it, 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 it is very. And of course, there's snow everywhere, which for some people, that's enough to make it a holiday based movie. And if that was the case, then where I'm from, it's it's Christmas season, nine tenths of the year. Um, Liam. I'm not going to ask you which of these movies we prefer. I think we both preferred Tokyo Godfathers, but I have to say I enjoy both of these movies very, very much. And I do think that this is a movie that if you have been sleeping on a little bit, yeah, give the Wolf of Snow – what's it called again? I keep forgetting the fucking Wolf name. Wolf of Hollow, Snow right? Hollow, yeah. Give the Wolf of Snow Hollow another shot. Uh, see if you enjoy it. I will say, though, if you are not enjoying Jim Cummings in this, you probably will not enjoy his other work up to this point. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think if this is too much of him being this hostile character, then you're not going to like his other stuff either. Though I do think Thunder Road is funny in a way that might be easier to relate to than this movie for some people. Uh, I don't know that it's a very different performance. I will say the the jump in terms of the quality of the movie, the filmmaking generally between those two movies, I think Jim Cummings is someone to really keep an eye on. I'd like to I see agree. him get, get like, you know, maybe look, I know people feel iffy on Blumhouse, but give him a Blumhouse deal. See what he can I do agree. with it. I'd like to see what, what he has in store for us. I don't know what he's working on next. Actually, Also, this movie's a reminder that uh, Ricky Lindholm and Kate Micucci are underrated as ac- actors both. I've seen them now both in slightly more serious things and found them incredibly compelling. Uh, and I, so. I love them as comedic performers together yeah what's the name of the group again i forget garfunkel and oates yeah yeah yeah. i love that group that's great it's really cool they're both very good serious maybe not serious is too heavy a word because i've also seen them in things like this that are their performance is serious but the thing itself is a comedy maybe that's a key but i think they're both really good and i don't think i see them in enough things honestly yeah Ricky Lindholm is terrific in this. Uh, Kate Micucci, of course, just recently had surgery for lung cancer. So, uh, oh wow, I didn't know that. Well, I had no idea. Yeah, ju- she just had revealed it over the last couple of days as of the recording of this. She, you know, when I used to be in the Lehigh Valley, she grew up in Bethlehem. I think mm. Bethlehem, or Bethlehem or Allentown, PA, basically my area. And I, when I went to see that, um, uh, that movie she's in, that's like a, a improvisational movie. What's that? I forget what it's called. You know, it's the Mike Birbiglia movie that she's in. Oh, yeah. It's Don't Think Twice. She's uh, She was at the screening that I was at. She came to oh, the wow. screening in, in the Lehigh Valley. I thought that was really cool. So anyways, yeah. word up to Kate Micucci. <laughs> and Ricky Lynn Home, who yeah, really yeah. is really She's good so in good in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liam, this is the end of our holiday special for 2023. Any message that you want to send out to the listeners? This is our final episode of the year. We're going to be back in 2024. Uh, what did you think of 2023 as a whole? Pretty, pretty rough, pretty rough. Yep. Not, not a great year, but, uh, you know, I guess it could be worse. <laughs> it, that's something worse, by the way, is going to be 2024. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably true. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to stay, uh, optimistic about the future. It's not easy, uh, especially if you look around or read the news or spend any time on the internet. But, uh, I'm, I, I when I try to keep my faith that things could improve the thing that keeps me feeling more positive are my relationships with my family and friends including Yulia with the people that I keep closest to me who I do see have those kind hearts and empathy and and care for the world as a whole and for the people in their lives and sometimes you know you have to shrink it to a smaller scale to have a better appreciation for what is uh capable from people in the world Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Cinema Smorgasbord, including our Cinema Fantastic episodes, our holiday specials generally, what's the best way for them to do so? I mean, obviously, they can go to our network page, cinepunks.com, for, you know, the latest episodes of our podcast, but a whole family of podcasts, as well as occasionally some writing, (laughs) (laughs) and hopefully more things coming soon. Uh, Also, I never say this on the show, but check out the Cinepunks Patreon if you want to support, and there's now more and more patreon stuff going up like previously i i felt weird because there just wasn't really any like 
material up there, like exclusive sort of uh, shows. And more of that is happening. Probably still not enough, but I still think it's worth checking it out. Patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And if you want to keep up with Cinepunks on social media, we're on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. We have our own website, Doug, the Cinema Smorgasbord website, where not only do we have uh, the archive of all of our two over 200 shows now, um, they're organized by show. So if you specifically want to go through our catalog, a friend just hit me up recently, actually, and was like, I've been going through the show, but they go through by topic, right? So they did the Jackie Chan one. Now they're doing the Wild in the Streets one. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that for them, that's how they want to consume the show. If that's how you want to do it, you can do that at the website, cinemasmorgasbord.com. You can also follow me on Blue Sky at Doug Tilly. You can just look up T-I-L-L-E-Y. I'm over there posting on a semi-regular basis. Or you can follow Cinema Smorgasbord on Twitter at Cinema S-M-O-R-G. I also have another podcast called No Budget Nightmares, devoted to shot-on-video and micro-budget cinema. You can find that over at NoBudgetPodcast.com. We just released, as of the recording of this episode, semi-recently, uh, an episode devoted to the German micro-budget superhero comedy, Captain Cosmotic, <laughs> an episode literally three and a half years in the making. So uh, you can go over to nobudgetpodcast.com to check that out. But for now, Liam, we have finished up the year 2024. No, we haven't. We have finished up the year 2023. Uh, Listeners, thank you so much for making this such a terrific year for the Cinema Smorgasbord family and for Cinepunks as well. Uh, You can always reach out to us if you want to send us any messages. Why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice or even just tell a friend about this show or other shows that you might be they might be, I should say, interested in. But for now, we're going to say goodbye. We're going to see you all in 2024. The last time I saw you was down at the Greeks. There was whiskey and sunburn and tears in her cheeks. He sang me a song that was pure as the breeze and a road leading up Glenavine. I sat for a while at the crescent finale where young lovers would meet when the flowers were in bloom. Heard the man coming from the fire at Chiron, the hearts in Tipperary, wherever they go. Take time and dry your tears, babe. Take my hand, forget your fears.